show that video a little more. But all around the world, the Church of the Nazarene has churches and schools and hospitals and homes for uh, seminaries and, and, and those who serve on the mission field. You have an opportunity this morning to give through the Alabaster March. Those of you who've grown up in the Church of the Nazarene, you're familiar with this offering because you have your alabaster boxes and you can collect your change. And then twice a year we take up this offering and every penny of it, I want you to hear that clearly, every penny of this offering goes to those who have need of it around the world so that uh, uh, people who are seeking the Lord have a place to worship. I, what does that say? I can't read that good. Video's ready? All right, they're going to they're gonna show it and... Uh, Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's watch the video and march all at the same time. You think we can do that? And Cleve's going to play. Wait a minute, there's music with it. Let's watch the video, and then we'll have Cleve play while we march, okay? You all do what you know is best. Don't just follow For more than 60 okay? years, Nazarenes around the world have been sacrificing financially to construct hospitals, schools, churches, and homes for missionaries through what is known as Alabaster Offering. But gifts to the Alabaster Offering provide much more than buildings. When you give to the Alabaster Offering, you are teaching children to read and write. You are meeting health care needs where common illnesses claim lives. You are uniting with believers of different cultures as the global church. You are housing missionaries so they can share the good news of Jesus. Your gift to the Alabaster Offering is a gift of hope to thousands in every corner of the world because you choose to pour out the love God has lavished on you. Well, if you've looked at your bulletin, you've seen that today is Mission Sunday. And so I want to ask our NMI president, Ms. Anel Kirk, to come and to to give greetings, and she has uh, some special things for us this morning. So uh, get your bulletin out so you can follow along with some of those things, and uh, we're going to trust the Lord to speak to our hearts through missions this morning. Good morning. God is good. And all the time, He is good, even though sometimes we don't recognize it. I'd like to start this morning with a scripture <clears throat> uh, found in Romans. Would you all stand and read this with me, please? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them. That scripture is found in Romans 10. Oh, let's, let me finish, sorry. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And as I said, Romans 10, 14. Have a seat, thank you. So this is basically asking the question of us, you know, if we aren't God's hands and feet, how will people know? Uh, today we're, we're going to be looking at um, several things that are connected to missions. And the first thing I would like us to do, most of you know this, but 
Hope and Faith and Elizabeth traveled to, uh, they flew to Alaska where Rachel and Matthew are for a missions missionary convention and they helped care for the children of the missionaries and um, they I've asked them to share with me with all of us uh, a little about their experience and um, I'm looking forward to hearing I and I know from just talking to Elizabeth this was her first time to fly so I know that was an interesting experience the twins I know have but come up and, and share would you please start off with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this wonderful day that you have given us. I just ask, Lord, that you would um, allow the people to realize um, that you are still faithful, Lord, and that they would hear from you today, Lord. In your name pray. Amen. So at the end of the summer, a open door um, unexpectedly popped up for us to go to Alaska. Uh, Aunt Rachel asked the three of us and um, to go and help with all of the missionaries preparing to go back in to the villages, and we helped with all of the babies, and um, so that was what we did. Um, while we were at the conference, we were a part of the Send North team, which consisted of about 30 people, um, most of whom were from the Detroit, Michigan area. I think Faith Hope and I were the only ones not from Michigan that were on the team. Um, about half of the team um, served in child care and then the other half in the kitchen. Um, the Sunday morning before conference, we got to go to church with the team and meet with them. And then when we weren't serving at the conference, um, we, got, we got to go on several hikes and then just explore Anchorage with them. Getting to go to Alaska was a great experience. I think one of my most favorite things was probably getting to hike up a mountain with our SIN team. Um, and one of the things the Lord has challenged me on is just learning how to serve him no matter what, even if it's not as glamorous. <laughs> but, um, hold on. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, anyways, that's our team on the mountain. And, um, oh, yeah, one of the nights... We were hiking back down that mountain, anyways. <laughs> and I was just asking the Lord to remind me of a song. And he reminded me of the song, Shoulders, by For King and Country. And in the beginning of that song, they um, play the passage, Psalms 121. Um, sorry. Anyways. <clears throat> And I'm just going to read it to you guys. Psalms 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He watches over you and will not, and hmm, he watches over you, will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over you, Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day or by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. 
He watches over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So I was just really encouraged by that, um, to just continue to lift my eyes to the Lord. Um, but in this next picture is just Elizabeth holding bread. Um, <laughs> because, I don't know, the day was really busy. Um, that, that was our starting day of just preparation Monday. Um, we started at like 7 and ended around like 3. Um, sorry. <laughs> but we did just setting up tables, decorating. Um, we were basically the only ones really helping the whole day. Um, <laughs> but then we went um, and got fresh produce at this warehouse, like this big warehouse there. And that was neat to get to um, go and see that. And then afterwards, we came back, washed all the fruit, um, organized it, just setting up. But um, why it was so, I don't know, important to get this fruit is because the missionaries, they don't get this when they're in the villages. Um, and so they were so thankful and encouraged and blessed by what we did for them. So, so during uh, the week for us, uh, once conference starts, we did all of the baby like nursery work. And um, so we watched a lot of kids. Um, mostly, a lot of them were adoptive and foster kids. Um, they had a lot of health issues. Um, some ranging from deafness to heart problems, um, tube-fed babies, autistic um, behavior disorders. And uh, during this time, the Lord reminded me that I'm working for him and not for man. Um, sometimes it wasn't the most exciting or glamorous time, but um, we knew that this was something really important that we needed to do for all of the missionaries um, as they went and got ready to go back into their villages. And sometimes they would be there for months and not be able to come back for, you know, until the next summer. So, um, For me, this trip really was an eye-opening experience, um, just getting to see how different the culture is up in Alaska compared to the lower 48. Sometimes I kept on forgetting that we were still in the U.S., um, but for the missionaries, um, or hearing, getting to hear some of the stories about how some of the missionaries have to live over there is crazy. Um, one of the missionary families at the conference has no running water in their house. To get water, they have to go to a communal building in their village and then haul it back to their house. Um, one winter a few years ago, um, the pipes or it got to be 50 to 60 degrees below freezing, and the pipes froze in the building where they get their water. Um, it's crazy to think that they're out there living like the people they're trying to reach. Um, in this next picture, um, it's of us in a bush plane. The twins and I had an opportunity one night after a conference to go on a flight seeing tour in a bush plane um, with a couple of the guys from the conference. Brett, um, he was one of the pilots, and then Andrew, he was a speaker at the conference. Um, the flight was about two hours round trip, and we got to see some glaciers, which are really pretty. Um, but for the missionaries that live out in the bush, um, the bush planes are one of their mo only modes of transportation. Um, 
to get groceries, to go to doctor's appointments, and to go to other villages. They really have to rely on bush planes. Um, down here, we have to worry about getting into car accidents, but up there, they have to worry about something going wrong with their plane as, when they're in the air. Um, actually, the day before we arrived in Anchorage, one of the missionary families um, from the conference got into a plane crash. Um, I think they're all okay. It's like a low-impact crash. Um, but um, just please keep praying for the missionaries and their safety up there. So we just want to thank you guys for all your prayers and support. Um, we couldn't have done it without you guys. So thank you. Good job. Did that bless you or what? It blessed me. I'm thankful that they were willing to go and that everything fell into place because it was God's plan. Uh, in, the, in the absence of Chris and Dion, I've asked Paula to come up and share. This is another area of missions, of course, is our shoeboxes, our Christmas child shoeboxes that we do. So I've asked her to share. Operation Christmas Child is a project of Samaritan's Purse that delivers shoeboxes filled with toys, hygiene items, and school supplies to children around the world as a tangible expression of God's love by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, God's greatest gift. Franklin Graham started this in the early 1990s. Since 1993, more than 188 million children in over 107 countries have received a shoebox. Okay, well, I'm a words girl, not a numbers girl, but that's a lot. 188 million children have heard the message of Jesus. through a box that you can put together, that I can put together. In 2020, more than 9.1 million boxes were collected worldwide in one year, 9 million. The 2021 goal is to collect enough shoe boxes to reach an additional 9.7 million children. In each box is a booklet, so there's supplies for school, there's hygiene items, soap, toothbrush, washcloth, uh, there's a fun item in there, but there's also a booklet about Jesus in their own language. And a 12-lesson discipleship program is offered if a child accepts Jesus as their savior. So. Anybody remember what our goal was for our church last year? 600 was our goal. Anybody remember how many were brought in by all of you? 735. But guess what our goal is for this year, Virginia? Our goal for this year is 900.
So then there will be an updated list of items that we will post in the foyer by next Sunday to let the church family know what items we still need. So just for clarification, 900 boxes is a lot. That includes the boxes that I bring, the boxes that Valerie brings. It's also the boxes that we put together as a church at what we call a packing party. So you and I have an opportunity, yes, to make our own boxes. You also have an opportunity to bring in supplies for the packing party. And then we fill those boxes and we celebrate and we pray over those boxes. So when you see that list of items next week, if you'll grab a few of those items and at your next trip to Walmart or Dollar General or wherever you shop, pick up a few of those items, actually many of those items. Remember, our goal is 900, okay? And, and um, pick up those items and drop them off at church. So remember, I'm a words girl, not a numbers girl. <clears throat> so to demonstrate really for, more for my benefit than yours, I have asked for Miss Emma to stand because this box is designated as a box for a 14-year-old girl. So it has items that would be pertinent to her everyday experiences. So every box, this box, Emma's box, not only impacts her, it impacts eight others. So let's see, her parents, stand please, yes, her parents. Oh, Miss Alicia stepped out, she's in the children's area. So then what about her brother? Yes, her brother. Okay, so we're up to, we're up to two here. Okay, let's see, Miss um, Cheryl, I know that you are a friend of Miss Alicia's, and you just heard about Jesus because Miss Alicia just told you, have a stand. Stand up, stand up. Uh, Faith, hope, stand up, stand up. You are friends of Emma. Ronnie, yes, absolutely, another brother. Forgive me, you were sitting behind my brother, so I didn't see you. And where's, where's Ian? Yeah, Ian, stand up there. Stand up. There we go. Let's see. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, Macy, you're over at their house quite a bit. You stand up. You're influenced by this box. Aunt Linda, you're a neighbor. We're going to say that you're a neighbor. Okay? Look at the people that are affected by this one box, right? And Ian's going to tell his buddies, and Miss Linda's going to have coffee and, and cake with a friend, right? It goes on and on and on, right? This one box affects not only one child, one young person, but eight others. Do you have time? Do you have a few extra dollars? I would encourage you to set a goal as a family to, to fill boxes to spread the gospel. Thank you. And also, we, uh, I have received the new reading, missionary reading books <clears throat> for this year. I, there's three books, so I have two sets of three for adults, and then I have some children books that I'm going to work with Alicia on that. So <clears throat> the first book is called Gospel Over the Andes, which I'll come back to in a minute. But it is um, the story um, in, of, in Peru, and it's Roger Winans. It's his story. 
So I'll get back to that in a minute because I'm going to expound on that just a little. The second book is called The Greening, and it is uh, full of stories of the uh, Nazarene Compassionate Ministry work. Uh, that it was started in 1984, um, and it really helped me understand really more what is involved with Compassionate Ministries. It's more than I ever thought it was. Um, and in the book, it makes this, this statement that I thought was really good. It says, there are social and governmental groups that step in to help during a natural disaster, and that is good. But it is natural for the church to minister with compassion where disasters hit because the church was there before the disaster, it's there during the disaster, and it's there after the disaster and after all the disaster helpers go home. The church is there. And I thought, wow, what, what a heavy statement that is. But isn't it true? Uh, it's those of us that live close that can be there before, during, and after. So it's a very good book. And then the, the third book is called EUNC. And it's about the European Nazarene Bible College, started in 1965 with 12 students. Uh, by 1969, they had 35 students from 11 countries. So what began as one school, as they prayed and sought God's will, one school for many nations, it has become one school in many nations. They sold the original church, or the original, not church, the church, the building that they used. They sold that original building, which was in Germany, and they established in other countries learning centers. And of course, nowadays, with, with the internet, it was kind of like doing internet learning. So there were learning centers. They moved it into learning centers in countries. And that was an interesting book on how they were able to do that, and it was only through God's working. So now I'm going to go back to the first book because I'm going to expound on this thanks to uh, Michelle Hobbs' help back there. Uh, this, is, this book is divided into half. The first half of the book is the very beginning of uh, Roger Winans and his wife going into Peru. And that was, uh, they arrived in 1914. But what is interesting is, um, um, and they said that, and I didn't, I know who, um, I'm, I've read books of, by Elmer Schmelzenbaugh, who uh, was in Africa, but they said Roger Winans is on the same level for the country of Peru. Very, uh, he was the first one there. Um, so uh, I'm going to... Um, share a little bit from this book. It's, it says, Roger Winans was a pioneer missionary to Peru. He was driven by a dream, a vision, and a call from God to an unknown Indian community in the Peruvian jungles. God actually gave him the name of this group in this vision, in this dream that he had. He gave him the name. Of it. He hadn't heard of it before. His friends and relatives thought he was foolish. His schoolmates called him crazy. Roger stubbornly set out to find his people. 
the first Nazarene missionary to Peru. For several years after he got the call from God, he applied to the leadership of the Church of the Nazarene to be sent to Peru. He was volunteering. But each time he was told that the church was not able to send him there. As he relates in his story, he and his wife, Mary, worked at various occupations to save money for their travel. So they worked to, to build up their savings so that they, could, they were basically sending themselves. They said, the church won't send us, can't send us, or whatever. God's called me. I have to do this. So they finally decided they couldn't wait any longer, and they paid for their own passages on a vessel. Now, this was in 1914. It's been a while back. It's for my time. Um, and it says, and I'm not going to read you this whole book, but I have a section I want to read to you. But it says, two wives and two children lie buried, lie buried in Peru. So he was committed. His dream never wavered. Yet not once do we see any questioning of God's wisdom on his call. So I'm going to read you this little part here because it's pretty exciting. It's, it's an awesome book. You're going to have to read this one. Um, <clears throat> but it starts with um, him uh, on a trip. And they're traveling down a raging river. Now, they had been there two years, um, and this was now in 1932. He had been in this area two years, and they decided they needed to expand their ministry. So it fell their lot to go downstream, to move downstream and open up a new mission, which, is called, which was called Yama Yakat. And I'm going to explain to you a word because I'd never heard of this word before, pongo. A pongo in, in, the, a pongo in the river is where there's a real narrow place. The, 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 the land comes in real narrow. And that, of course, forces that raging water to be even more so because it's being forced through a very narrow uh, area. So... Um, that, that's, and it says the, the tribal word for gateway is pongo. And the Spanish adopted this word for a narrow passageway that lasts 8 to 10 miles long. And these other larger streams have cut through the mountain chains that obstruct their course. So if I could have my first picture, they traveled on a flat wooden raft and this is fancier than that was even. But if you can imagine, um, like, um, get my notes here, the uh, raft that Mark Twain used, you know, it's just a square of boards. This one had two oars, one on either side. So they're on this, they're on this flat uh, raft. And it says, in our move to Yama Yakat on two large rafts, we passed through seven of these pongos, three of which included in the list of major ones. Some were the whirlpool type, and some were the dashing type. The whirlpool pongos are very dangerous in high water, and the dashing ones are worse in low water. 
At the time of our trip, the water was high enough to lessen the danger of the dashing rapids without increasing too much danger from the whirlpools. So can I see the uh, rushing water that, that Michelle has found for me? It says, since locals do not like to risk their... Now, this is, this is pretty... Uh, this is what it looked like, but this was a flat piece of wood, okay? It didn't have sides. They didn't have on helmets. Since the locals don't like to risk their lives on the rapids, we had to hire four Peruvians from Peru to man the rafts. Two young men went with us as passengers. The rafts were provided with large sweep oars on either side that, that on, in forks that, so they could try and um, guide the boat. And so one of our men was skilled in using this type of oar. The other, would, he wasn't good at it at all. And so that's when they were in the greatest danger is when the guy was in charge of the oar that really didn't know how to use it. Our raft was loaded with household articles and heavy boxes on one side and a family cow and calf on the other side. Can you imagine a flat square floating in the water and you got boxes sitting here and there? You got a cow with a calf, you got people. The cow kept moving around and upset the balance of the raft. And after 10 minutes, she slipped off into the water. We thought we would lose her. All five of us men joined in the effort to pull her back up. We did this by, partly by tipping the raft with our weight and partly by pulling and tugging, we got her safely back on. I can't believe they were able to do that. God had to be there. We rode the crest safely through this rapids, these narrow rapids. So a few miles farther on, we passed on a big rock well out in the river where others had been wrecked in times past. Then we entered a great gorge with powering, towering mountain peaks on both sides of the river. In one place, the current carried us toward these big boulders on the left-hand side, just as, we, just as our inexperienced raftsman, whose turn it was to row and save us, finally got it, the oar back in place. We were too near the bank to use the other oar, and our two passengers woke, I don't know how they slept through that, to the danger too late to help. We hit the boulder, and the whole raft trembled and creaked with the impact. The force of the current slowly turned our raft around and headed us out into the river. Many of the stakes supporting our cargo was gone, and the entire section was leaning to one side, and the other sweep oar was broken. Our experienced raftsman took charge and gave orders, and we all worked together. We took the big rope from the head of the raft and tied it to the leaning upper structure. Then we tightened it and tied it down to the to the other side of the raft. The one raftsman alone repaired the broken support for his oar. As we approached a pong, another pongo called Pongo del Balta, which was reputed to be the worst of them all, everyone was in his proper place except the dog. The first wave went over our heads and then the lesser bumps followed. How many were there? They'd lost count. Just as we felt relieved in passing this danger, our head raftsman warned us that we were coming to the Locaraca, the father of the Pongos. Soon we were in it. It bumped us like a bucking horse and tried to pull us off into the dangerous whirlpool. This time, both raftsmen pulled together, and we were soon out of the clutches. 
We decided, good decision, to stop at a suitable place below the rapids to repair our raft. We spent the night on the riverbank without a shelter, and it rained repeatedly through the night, and we were drenched. But the next morning was bright and sunny, and we had a pleasant trip onto our new mission station. Now, does that create excitement? It scares me to death because I can't swim. So there's no way I would get on anything like that unless the Lord took hold of it. <laughs> so um, so I, I ask myself, um, what can I do in this, in this world of the needed missions? What can I do? It seems, uh, it seems so small when we see the chaos around us uh, in our current world. But we need to be Jesus' hands and feet. And Mother Teresa's quote is this, and th this really kind of hit me. It says, we can do no great things, but only small things with great love. And I thought, wow, how true that is. We don't, we don't do great things. And of course, Mother Teresa was very uh, mild and very, she didn't want any uh, applause for anything. But we can do small things with great love. And of course, we know that great love comes from Jesus. So I want to read to you, the, in closing, uh, the, the scripture from Matthew, Matthew 25, 34 to 40. And I will, I will let you know that this is red letters. So this is Jesus speaking. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and go to visit? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. So, and I will also remind you that we have several opportunities in our area here to serve, and we've mentioned some of them this morning. Um, we have um, the gully truck that's out near the crossing store. It'll be back next Saturday from, two, from 9 to 2. Uh, we have the group going to Louisiana to help it with the hurricane after effects. Uh, we also have a, a food... In, in town, we have two food banks. You can take in food, extra food. Um, we have the backpack program where they send out food on the weekends with children who are needy. So it may seem small, but um, there, there's a song that says, little is much when God is in it, and I believe that is true. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Michelle, for helping me. She was very helpful in everything. And thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Nell. Thank you for everybody who has taken a part in uh, 
in missions over the years. We are a church that missions is one of our values uh, as a church, and we value being a part of a church that's not just in Pittsfield, but we are a church that's all over the world, and we're thankful for that opportunity. One of the common themes that comes down to missions is I hear people say this a lot over the years. Well, I don't want to ever be called to Africa or, or anywhere overseas because I just can't do that. I can't do this. And, and we, we start making excuses. I can't, I can't, I can't. And really what missions is about is by saying, you know what? I don't know what God's going to say to me, but I'll surrender to say yes to him. And whatever that is, whether it's taking food to the local food bank, whether it's going to Alaska on a bush plane or whatever it is you might be doing, maybe it is going to Africa, but maybe it's filling 10 shoeboxes. Maybe it's, maybe I can't even do that, but I can write a check. I can help because we're a part of something that's bigger than us. And so I would encourage you today as we get ready to, to close in prayer and to go out into the mission field that is our world, I would encourage you, if God is speaking to you, Will you surrender to him? And as you surrender to him, he will bless you and he will be greater. Amen? So would you stand with me this morning? Father God, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your word that still speaks to us today about being called, about being sent, about giving, being given an opportunity to respond to your will in our life. Lord, wherever we may be today, if your Holy Spirit is whispering to our heart, would you help us to have the courage to say yes and to surrender our will to your will, whatever that may be. God, we give you this day, we give you our lives as we leave this place today. God, I pray that you would be glorified and lifted up through how we represent you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Have a great day. God bless you.